Support for Where There's Smoke comes from listeners like you. Listeners like you. Comes from listeners like me and you. Thousands of listeners around the world. Use Where There Is Smoke to explore ideas. Navigate change. And receive virtual fist bumps. To join them, go to supportwts.com. S-U-P-P-O-R-T-W-T-S dot com. Where There's Smoke. Live a better life. You know I'm going to ask you, have we ever lied to the audience? (laughs) (laughs) This week on Where There's Smoke. All creatures, uh, big or small, uh, have deception as part of their armamentary. Where thousands and thousands of people were cheering as that building was coming down. Sometimes you also have to lie in a way because you're making somebody happy, like if you're throwing a surprise birthday. The myth of epiphany is not that you don't have flashes of insight. Of course we all do. The myth is that that's the hard part. Uh, oh, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. How's it going? Hey man, it's going good. <laughs> am, I supposed to be like, am I supposed to be like on right now? Oh yeah, this is happening. I want this to be... From Brett Gaida and listeners like you, it's Where There's Smoke, an exploration of the self told week by week. I'm Nick Jaworski. For the past few weeks, I've been trying to figure out lying, or if you want to get technical about it, and apparently I do, I've been trying to figure out why we lie, when, to who, questions like that. And on the other hand, I've been trying to understand the value of truth. When is it good for us and when can it hold us back? And to be honest, it hasn't always been easy, and it's required me to ask some pretty personal questions of myself and the people around me. Recently, true crime entertainment has seen a resurgence in popular culture, whether it's the recent success of Netflix's Making a Murderer, last year's The Jinx on HBO, or of course, Serial the podcast hosted by Sarah Koenig that attempted to find out whether then-high-schooler, now-convicted murderer Adnan Syed actually killed his ex-girlfriend, Heyman Lee. At their core, all of these programs deal with the truth, and in many ways, how hard it is to ever really find it, to find that capital T, truth. So that's what we thought we'd explore today, truth. And perhaps the best way to get to truth is through lies. And thinking about that for a while, we decided to look at lying from four different angles. We lie for bad reasons, we lie for good reasons, we lie to others, and we lie to ourselves. And this episode is going to be a little different. For starters, there's two of them. This will be in two parts. Also, we're going to get into some of the nitty-gritty details in this episode. We'll be talking to great thinkers, and along the way, we have some of our own truths to share. With that in mind, I'd like to start with telling you some of my truth. Each week, Brett and I attempt to understand some larger element of the human experience. Sometimes the shows are about very specific behaviors like procrastination or process. Other times the show is about large, more layered concepts like curiosity or vulnerability. The thing is that regardless of the size of the concept, implementing these ideas can be difficult. Being vulnerable or being more curious aren't things you can just do overnight. And in my first example of intentional truth-telling today, I have to tell you that I struggle with most of the issues we talk about on the show, even in instances where I've written the script or I fully agree with what we're saying. There's just this gap between understanding in your mind and understanding in your heart. 
So every Tuesday when the show goes live and we offer some view of the world or the self, I'm worried that you might think I'm a fraud. Or maybe I think I'm a fraud. I don't think I'm lying to you, but I also don't think that's up for me to decide. So with that out of the way, let's keep going. Now, one thing I do know, one thing that makes me feel a little better is that everybody lies. Yes, even you, probably today, even if you've just woken up, but more about that in another episode. It's an election year here in the States, so forgive me for bringing some politics into this conversation, but I mean, come on, an episode about lying without any discussion of politicians would be incomplete. Back in November, Donald Trump said this. Hey. I watched when the World Trade Center came tumbling down. And I watched in Jersey City, New Jersey, where thousands and thousands of people were cheering as that building was coming down. Thousands of people were cheering. That didn't happen. And even if it did happen, which it didn't, Trump claims that he saw a video of it, which nobody has been able to produce. The Donald is known for having a problem with the truth. In fact, last year, the political fact-checking organization PolitiFact checked 77 statements that Donald Trump said on the campaign trail. They rated 76% of them, over three-quarters of the statements they investigated, as either mostly false, false, or in a term they saved for the most egregious of lies, pants on fire. However, despite this, as of early February 2016, as of right now, Donald Trump has never trailed in the national polls for the Republican nomination. And while we could parse that fact in a billion different ways, I'd argue that's because so many of us already believe that politicians don't always tell the truth. So we don't really care if Trump isn't always truthful. According to the Pew Research Center, as of October 2015, only 19% of Americans trust the government all or most of the time. That's one in five people. Also, 74% of Americans believe that most elected officials put their own interests ahead of the country's. So what's interesting to me is that from a very early age, children are taught the value of telling the truth. Think about it. If you went to school here in the United States, you consistently heard stories about American heroes like Abraham Lincoln, who goes by the nickname Honest Abe, of course. And if you're American and you're listening to the show, if I say just four words to you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. All right, here we go. George Washington Cherry Tree. Now, in case you've forgotten or if you're not American, here's a quick retelling of the story that we all heard in school. Well before George Washington was the first president of the United States, he was just a young child. This young George Washington, around six years old, was given a new hatchet by his father. It was a beautiful hatchet, and being a normal kid, little George desperately wanted to find a reason to use it. So he went around his parents' garden, cutting down his mother's pea sticks. One day while doing this, he came across a beautiful young cherry tree and just couldn't resist himself. He just nicked the tree's bark, and eventually the tree would die. When his father saw the tree and saw the mark in its trunk, He angrily went to George and asked him if he knew what had happened to his beautiful tree. A young George Washington replied, and you know exactly what he said, so say it with me now. I cannot tell a lie. Good job. And then he goes on to say, 
Father, you know I cannot tell a lie. I did cut it with my little hatchet. His father took George into his arms and said, My son, that you should not be afraid to tell the truth is more to me than a thousand trees. Yes, though they were blossomed with silver and had leaves of the purest gold. And it's this quality, George Washington's commitment to honesty, that made him not only the perfect president, but also the perfect man. It's a story that both teaches children about the integrity of our founding fathers and the value of telling the truth. Look, you're not going to get in trouble if you just tell the truth, kid. It sounds great, but it's not true. Not even a little bit. It never happened. In fact, the story originated with Washington's first biographer and bookseller, a man named Mason Locke Weems, who decided that crafting a picture of Washington's virtues would be the best way to sell books to the American public. And he was right. The book was an instant bestseller. In fact, The Cherry Tree Story, the one we just talked about, it wasn't even included in the book until the fifth edition. So there you go. All over the United States, children are taught the virtue of telling the truth by telling them a story that's a lie. The truth is, see what I did there? (laughs) The truth is that everybody lies. And really, no parental or classroom technique is going to change that. Researchers believe that between the ages of two and three, children will begin to make statements that are deliberately untrue. In fact, the better a child is at utilizing their executive functions, remembering things, organizing, problem solving, the earlier in life they'll lie. Some researchers even suggest that lying is crucial to the development of a child's brain. Here is Dr. Morali Doraswamy from the Duke Institute for Brain Science talking about this idea in the documentary Dishonesty, The Truth About Lies. All creatures, uh, big or small, uh, have deception as part of their armamentary. It's very common for children, younger children, to, to fib. And for them, it gives them pleasure, it helps them imagine things, and it helps them build their brain and helps them build what is called the theory of mind, a psychological theory by which, as our brains mature, we're able to predict and imagine what the other person's thinking about. And unless children lie and unless children imagine and dream big, they may not have the full capacity to develop a theory of mind. I hate to say it, but little George Washington would be so disappointed in all of us. A study published in the Journal of Basic and Applied Psychology found that we lie 2.92 times every 10 minutes. That's a lot of fibbing. Four-year-olds lie once every two hours, and by six, it's every 90 minutes. We lie all the time. A white lie is a harmless or trivial falsification, usually told to avoid hurting someone's feelings. The researchers call this a pro-social lie, and they're the good kind. Lies told that are destructive or deceptive, those are anti-social lies, and they do the exact opposite. They weaken the bonds between individuals, and they break down social structure. Ah, okay. So good lies are pro-social lies. They reinforce relationships. That, that feels right. In fact, a study led by Gerardo Iniguez created an online social network model to look at the impact of pro-social and anti-social lying. It turns out that networks of people who tell pro-social or white lies are actually larger and more diverse than those networks where people only lie or only tell the truth. In the lie-telling scenario, nobody trusted each other. In the truth-only scenario, everybody just congregated around people who agreed with them. But when you used white lies to finesse conversation, then people's differences are less sharp, 
and a more diverse group is created. Iniguez wrote, The results of our study suggest that not all lies are bad or necessarily socially destructive. In fact, it seems that some lies may even enhance the cohesion of the society as a whole and help to create links with other people. Just to make sure that we've covered our bases, I want to share with you some common white lies that people tell. Probably you have done one of these today or very, very recently. These are from an article titled The 15 Most Common White Lies and Why by Mark Chernoff. It wasn't me. The table will be ready in five minutes. Oh, oh, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. Thank you so much. I love it. Yeah, you look great in that dress. Uh, no, officer, I have no idea how fast I was going. Yeah, I'm, I'm 29. I will start working on that ASAP. Yeah, I was a badass on my high school football team. I thought I already sent that email out. And look, if you're still thinking that all lying is bad or that you don't do it, here's a good example of a good lie that I think we can all agree with. Again, this is taken from dishonesty, the truth about lies. Sometimes you also have to lie in a way because you're making somebody happy. Like if you're throwing a surprise birthday party, then that means they're obviously trying to help and get ready or do something. And so you're lying to your friend to help them have a good birthday. So let's talk about another potential vehicle for lying. Stories. Sometimes there are fake stories that we know are fake. Sometimes there are true stories that we know are true. And sometimes there are fake stories that we think are true. So is that lying? Is that, is that bad? I'm Scott Birkin. I used to manage teams of software designers. And for the last 10 years, I've been a full-time author and speaker. I've written six popular books on creativity, philosophy, and asking questions about life. One of Scott's books is titled The Myth of Innovation. It's a look at how the stories that we tell when we talk about creativity or development, how those stories can actually get in the way of our ability to create. The myth of innovation, if you had to say like, if you had to just sort of describe what that is, and I know, I know, I know this is a big question. <laughs> oh, the myth of innovation is generally what? Sure. The myths of innovation, the, the most common problem is that we, our brains love simplicity. So we will prefer simple lies over complex truths. And when it comes to stories about how a song was written or how a novel was written or someone came up with the idea for the photocopier or the first cell phone, the stories that become most popular are often the furthest from the truth. And hmm. the idea for the book was to unpack all of these legends that we we all know about Newton and the apple and the discovery of um, of all different inventions that we use every day, the telephone or the, te the television, and to find out what the real truth was and what lessons we can take from the truth rather than the fun, the fun lies. So in his book, Scott outlines a variety of ways that the stories we tell about creativity and progress just don't help us. They create a false impression of what the process is like and can discourage us precisely when we need encouragement. He's broken these myths down into a variety of categories, including the myth of the lone inventor, the myth that good ideas are rare, the myth that the best idea always wins, and the myth of epiphany. The myth of epiphany is not that you don't have flashes of insight. Of course we all do. The myth is that that's the hard part. 
that that is the important part and that once you get that idea, it's so good that it magically does all of the work for you. <laughs> and that's the mythology. We, we have this fantasy that somehow if you're just brilliant enough and the muse strikes you in the right way, that you'll sit down and you're not even really paying attention. Your fingers are just flying and 100,000 words come out and it's all perfect and then you're done and you're a famous novelist. That's the myth. And I suffered from that myself, which is why I find it's, I feel it's so important to teach people who want to be creative, they have to get past that. That no matter how good your idea is for a book or a movie or a podcast or whatever, there's going to be weeks or months or maybe even years of work, actual work to deliver on that idea. And that the creativity, the creative part is not the hard part. So, of course, we hear these stories about the geniuses who changed the world with only the power of thought. And so when we don't live up to that story, we might quit because we don't think we have what it takes. But again, the stories often aren't true. And not only that, but sometimes the real story has the exact opposite lesson. Here's Scott speaking about great innovators of the past while giving a talk at Carnegie Mellon University. So the thing, that, the key thing here is that we like to think that innovation is this grand thing that is only accessible to certain people who follow certain rules or certain credentials. And the history of innovation says the opposite. It's often the renegades, it's often the delinquents, it's often the people who say, you know what, I'm not going to follow what everyone else is doing, I'm going to go over here. So it's a very democratic notion. You don't, there's, there's, no, there's no official pedigree you have to have in order to qualify as an innovator in any field. Um, do you feel like that your own story of yourself is entirely truthful? That's a fantastic question. I suppose, <laughs> I suppose I feel cornered into saying that no, that it's not. But you know, the, the, the right answer is that there's no – all stories – this, this is where the four lies of storytelling comes up. That Matthew Dix, the list that he put together I think is great because if I told you the entire truth of the story of my life, you'd be bored. <laughs> out of your mind it's just it's just too there's, i don't know what no, you get up to i mean you, maybe it's great it's true but it, it would take forever uh, it'd be impossible to do anyway because i'm just telling you my perception of the story there's my mother's perception of my story there's mm -hmm. my wife's perception of my story there's my childhood friend's perception of my story uh, there's too many there's there's too much there's too much there to work with so in order to convey tell you anything i have to edit and mm -hmm. in the act of editing, I have an intention. I have an intention to – I have to omit things in order, in order to be concise enough to tell you a story. So this is where it becomes tricky now. If I'm only telling you one version of what happened, is that the truth? Is there any time when stretching the truth can be a good thing or at least justified? The answer is yes, at least according to Matthew Dix. He's a 17-time moth storytelling champion. Real quick. Matthew believes that you can lie in the following ways. A lie of omission. This is when you leave out details of the story that, while true, get in the way of the essence of the story that you're trying to tell. A lie of assumption. Basically, this is when you fill the gaps in your memory with reasonable assumptions about what actually happened. So if you can't remember the color or make of the car you saw, you fill in that bit of the story with something that is reasonable. A lie of compression. This is when you take a story that plays out over a long period of time and over long distances and just compress everything together. And lastly, there's a lie of progression, where you may reorder some events to help the audience through the story. So you might be asking yourself, Nick, why are you bringing all of this up? Well...
How's it going? Hey, man, it's going good. <laughs> what you up to? Am I supposed to be like? Am I supposed to be like on right now? Oh yeah, this is happening. I want this to be a real take because this is a show about the truth. Does that make, does that, does that make sense? So I have to make this real so that it sounds like the truth. Well, no, it, it, will, be, I mean? it will be the truth. <laughs> it doesn't have to sound like oh. it. I mean, it should sound like it because okay. it is. You know what I'm going to ask you. Have we ever lied to the audience? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, just, just answer the question. It's, you know, it's funny. It's funny because we're like, in the middle of like, you know, the political season and there's all these, you know, debates between candidates. And I feel like this is what they do, right? They find the one thing and then they're like, you know, so and so lied and it can get, so I, I just think, uh, so yes, we've, 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 well, actually, I don't know. I don't, cause I don't know if we blatantly said, so I, there, we, we did something that some people might have interpreted one way and we let them interpret it that way. Podcast idea, uh, the power of stories that people don't see, so not just their ability to influence others, but also the stories that we tell ourselves and the fact that you know, stories might actually be all we are. Okay, so our sixth episode, it was called Who Are You? Stories and Influence. And we decided that, you know, as we often do in the show, we're kind of doing layered things. So if we're going to talk about the power of stories, let's tell the story, like the background story of the show, right? So, so really my story, right? Mostly mm -hmm. my story of how it, it, it came to, I came to kind of create where there's smoke, connect with you, and then we came to create this thing. So let's tell that backstory. Everything that had happened basically before the audience had kind of heard us. Mm -hmm. August 26, I think, 2014. I've been an explorer since I can remember. For the past 10 years, I've been helping individuals and some of the biggest companies in the world be better versions of themselves. I'm good at it. I'm often great at it. How do we do that in an audio format? And, you know, one of the things that I done, have done many times in my life over the years is, you know, here and there, it, I've recorded things on my iPhone because I'm on a plane and I'm thinking about something and I'm a writer so oftentimes I'll record things and then later I'll write them or I'll journal things um, but in this case you know I didn't actually really have audio of all these emotions and these experiences that I had felt right right November 14th 2014 hello why am I making videos when I love podcasts and it's gotta be where there's smoke that's me. That will allow me to bring my full expression to educate and entertain. So there's these series of voicemails. I think the first one is in August of 2014, and I'm pretty distraught. And that's not a real voicemail. That that is something I created in you know February 2015. It's based on things I've written. It's based on real emotions. And the series of voicemails that happen, voice memos, I guess is more accurate, that happen in that show. Uh, were all created in February 15th. And they were scripted? Uh, they were scripted. They were scripted, yes. But I think, you know, again, like, to get defensive about it, the, the key here being that the emotion, the feeling, even the words in that, in all those voicemails are real. They were genuinely what I went through, and some of them, as I said, were based on things I wrote. So it was real emotion. We just kind of faked the execution. 
December twenty <laughs> uh, something, two thousand fourteen, and feeling insanely grateful today. I mean, the amount of serendipity in action in the last four weeks is insane. Now, after I post- now, I have no idea if people are actually going to care about this or not. But while Brett and I didn't set out to trick anybody into actually believing those voice memos were real, we did make a conscious effort not to correct anyone who thought that they were. Like, it wasn't like we consciously made this decision to create this quote-unquote fake audio. And, right. and then, but we, so we just did it. But then, yeah, like what happened was, Kind of, and there was a moment, right, which I think a lot of people out there can relate to when you, like, tell maybe a little white lie. And then there's a moment where someone's like, oh, really? You made this from scratch? <laughs> and you know you didn't. And in that moment, for some reason, out of your mouth comes, yes. And then it's almost like from that point late. forward, you're like, well, I guess I made it from scratch because <laughs> now you put it. So, like, somebody said to us, like, they, what they actually said was something like, I thought those voice memos were really moving and really poignant. And, and I remember both of us kind of having this moment of like, okay, at this point, do we say, oh, well, by the way, those, and we went, oh, well, thank you. You know, we're really glad you were moved by them. And that was kind of it. From that point forward, it was like, we would joke between each other that this was like who shot JFK and that we were, we were both going to go to our death, you know, not telling anyone that we'd take these voice memos. And it became this kind of funny big thing, but I think also genuinely, it was genuine, kind of a big thing. I think we were both kind of like, oh, well, now we're in. So there it is. Where there smokes, dirty little secret. We dramatized those voice memos in the service of story. Since we didn't tell you that they were dramatizations, I suppose Matthew Dix might call this a lie by omission. The sentiments and the timeline were correct, and the emotions are very, very real. But in order to serve the story, we left out some of the information. For what it's worth, and maybe this is revealing in and of itself, I do feel better now that we've told you guys the truth. But again, the process episode was real. Yes, well, actually, that's so funny. <laughs> that was all real. Okay, let's take stock. Where are we? What do we know? Or what do we think we know? Well, there aren't any real definitive answers here. For starters, we know that your kids are going to lie. That's a fact, and it's actually probably good for them. Next, almost all storytelling includes some version of a lie by omission. You simply can't tell the whole story all the time. Another takeaway for me is that we should probably stop pretending that we never lie, or stop pretending and fooling ourselves that lying is always bad and that we should be ashamed of it, because sometimes we lie for really good reasons. Now, I'm not saying that we should go around willfully lying to people, abusing their trust, or shirking responsibility. That would be wrong. I just just want to make sure that's been said. But sometimes, and I want you to think about this, you guys are smart listeners, sometimes people lie for reasons they're not fully aware of or can't articulate. And that's another kind of lying, one that we haven't talked about today. And perhaps this kind of lying can make the difference between moving forward in your life or staying stuck. But that's next time on Where There's Smoke. Weather Smoke is produced by Brett Gaida and Nick Jaworski. Original theme song by Des McKinney. Serial arrangement by Nick. 
Other music in this episode from Ketza, Mads, Simon Mathewson, Scott Gradden, Blue Dot Sessions, LJ Cruiser, David Mumford, and Kevin McLeod. Very special thanks to our guest, Scott Birkin. You can find him at scottbirkin.com. That's Birkin, spelled B-E-R-K-U-N. He's on Twitter, at Birkin. His books include The Myths of Innovation, The Ghost of My Father, and The Year Without Pants, WordPress.com, and The Future of Work. Check him out. Where There's Smoke is brought to you by listeners like you, just like you. Check out supportwts.com. If you haven't done that yet, just go. Supportwts.com. We'd love to see you. And please consider supporting the show and becoming an explorer. That's the only way we can keep bringing you content like this. Where There's Smoke, live a better life. See you next week.